Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 1 of Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Anonymously translated. Section 1. Volume 1. I have entered upon a performance, which is without example, whose accomplishment will have no imitator. I mean to present my fellow mortals with a man in all the integrity of nature and this man shall be myself. I know my heart, and have studied mankind. I am not made like any one I have been acquainted with, perhaps like no one in existence. If not better, I at least claim originality. And whether nature did wisely in breaking the mould with which she formed me, can only be determined after having read this work. Whenever the last trumpet shall sound, I will present myself before the sovereign judge with this book in my hand, and loudly proclaim, Thus have I acted. These were my thoughts. Such was I. With equal freedom and veracity have I related what was laudable or wicked. I have concealed no crimes, added no virtues, and if I have sometimes introduced superfluous ornament, it was merely to occupy a void occasioned by defect of memory. I may have supposed that certain, which I only knew to be probable, but have never asserted as truth a conscious falsehood. Such as I was, I have declared myself, sometimes vile and despicable, at others virtuous, generous and sublime even as thou hast read my inmost soul power eternal assemble round thy throne an innumerable throng of my fellow mortals let them listen to my confessions let them blush at my depravity let them tremble at my sufferings let each in his turn expose with equal sincerity the failings the wanderings of his heart, and if he dare, aver I was better than that man. I was born at Geneva, 
in 1712, son of Isaac Rousseau and Suzanne Bernard, citizens. My father's share of a moderate competency, which was divided among fifteen children, being very trivial, his business of a watchmaker, in which he had the reputation of great ingenuity, was his only dependence. My mother's circumstances were more affluent. She was daughter of a Monsieur Bernard, minister, and possessed a considerable share of modesty and beauty. Indeed, my father found some difficulty in obtaining her hand. The affection they entertained for each other was almost as early as their existence. At eight or nine years old, they walked together every evening on the banks of the Treuil, and before they were ten could not support the idea of separation. A natural sympathy of soul confined those sentiments of predilection which habit at first produced. Born with minds susceptible of the most exquisite sensibility and tenderness, it was only necessary to encounter similar dispositions. That moment fortunately presented itself, and each surrendered a willing heart. The obstacles that opposed served only to give a degree of vivacity to their affection, and the young lover, not being able to obtain his mistress, was overwhelmed with sorrow and despair. She advised him to travel, to forget her. He consented. He travelled, but returned more passionate than ever, and had the happiness to find her equally constant, equally tender. After this proof of mutual affection, what could they resolve? to dedicate their future lives to love. The resolution was ratified with a vow, on which heaven shed its benediction. Fortunately, my mother's brother, Gabriel Bernard, fell in love with one of my father's sisters. She had no objection to the match, but made the marriage of his sister with her brother an indispensable preliminary. Love soon removed every obstacle, and the two weddings were celebrated the same day. Thus my uncle became the husband of my aunt, and their children were doubly cousins German. Before a year was expired, both had the happiness to become fathers, but were soon after obliged to submit to a separation. My uncle Bernard, who was an engineer, went to serve in the Empire and Hungary under Prince Eugene, and distinguished himself both at the siege and battle of Belgrade. My father, after the birth of my only brother, set off on recommendation for Constantinople, and was appointed watchmaker to the Seraglio. During his absence, the beauty, wit, and accomplishments of my mother 
attracted a number of admirers among whom monsieur de la closure resident of france was the most assiduous in his attentions his passion must have been extremely violent since after a period of thirty years i have seen him affected at the very mention of her name my mother had a defence more powerful even than her virtue she tenderly loved my father and conjured him to return his inclination seconding his request he gave up every prospect of emolument and hastened to geneva i was the unfortunate fruit of this return being born ten months after in a very weakly and infirm state my birth cost my mother her life and was the first of my misfortunes i am ignorant how my father supported her loss at that time but i know he was ever after inconsolable in me he still thought he saw her he so tenderly lamented but could never forget i had been the innocent cause of his misfortune nor did he ever embrace me but his sighs the convulsive pressure of his arms witnessed that a bitter regret mingled itself with his caresses though as may be supposed they were not on this account less ardent when he said to me jean-jacques let us talk of your mother my usual reply was yes father but then you know we shall cry and immediately the tears started from his eyes ah exclaimed he with agitation give me back my wife at least console me for her loss fill up dear boy the void she has left in my soul could i love thee thus wert thou only my son forty years after this loss he expired in the arms of his second wife but the name of the first still vibrated on his lips still was her image engraved on his heart such were the authors of my being of all the gifts it had pleased heaven to bestow on them a feeling heart was the only one that descended to me this had been the source of their felicity it was the foundation of all my misfortunes i came into the world with so few signs of life that they entertained but little hope of preserving me with the seeds of a disorder that has gathered strength with years and from which i am now relieved at intervals only to suffer a different though more intolerable evil i owed my preservation to one of my father's sisters an amiable and virtuous girl who took the most tender care of me she is yet living 
nursing at the age of fourscore a husband younger than herself but worn out with excessive drinking dear aunt i freely forgive your having preserved my life and only lament that it is not in my power to bestow on the decline of your days the tender solicitude and care you lavished on the first dawn of mine my nurse jacqueline is likewise living and in good health the hands that opened my eyes to the light of this world may close them at my death we suffer before we think it is the common lot of humanity i experienced more than my proportion of it i have no knowledge of what passed prior to my fifth or sixth year i recollect nothing of learning to read i only remember what effect the first considerable exercise of it produced on my mind and from that moment i date an uninterrupted knowledge of myself every night after supper we read some part of a small collection of romances which had been my mother's my father's design was only to improve me in reading and he thought these entertaining works were calculated to give me a fondness for it but we soon found ourselves so interested in the adventures they contained that we alternately read whole nights together and could not bear to give over until at the conclusion of a volume sometimes in a morning on hearing the swallows at our window my father quite ashamed of this weakness would cry come come let us go to bed i am more a child than thou art i soon acquired by this dangerous custom not only an extreme facility in reading and comprehending but for my age a too intimate acquaintance with the passions an infinity of sensations were familiar to me without possessing any precise idea of the objects to which they related i had conceived nothing i had felt the whole this confused succession of emotions did not retard the future efforts of my reason though they added an extravagant romantic notion of human life which experience and reflection have never been able to eradicate my romance reading concluded with the summer of seventeen hundred and nineteen the following winter was differently employed my mother's library being quite exhausted we had recourse to that part of her father's which had devolved to us here we happily found some valuable books which was by no means extraordinary having been selected by a minister that truly deserved that title in whom learning which was the rage of the times 
was but a secondary commendation his taste and good sense being most conspicuous the history of the church and empire by le sueur bossuet's discourses on universal history plutarch's lives the history of venice by nanny ovid's metamorphoses la bruyere fontenelle's world his dialogues of the dead and a few volumes of moliere were soon ranged in my father's closet where during the hours he was employed in his business i daily read them with an avidity and taste uncommon perhaps unprecedented at my age plutarch presently became my greatest favourite the satisfaction i derived from repeated readings i gave this author extinguished my passion for romances and i shortly preferred agesileus brutus and aristides to Orondat, artamene and juba these interesting studies seconded by the conversations they frequently occasioned with my father produced that republican spirit and love of liberty that haughty and invincible turn of mind which rendered me impatient of restraint or servitude and became the torment of my life as i continually found myself in situations incompatible with these sentiments incessantly occupied with rome and athens conversing if i may so express myself with their illustrious heroes born the citizen of a republic of a father whose ruling passion was a love of his country i was fired with these examples could fancy myself a greek or roman and readily give in to the character of the personage whose life i read transported by the recital of any extraordinary instance of fortitude or intrepidity animation flashed from my eyes and gave my voice additional strength and energy one day at table while relating the fortitude of scyvola they were terrified at seeing me start from my seat and hold my hand over a hot chafing-dish to represent more forcibly the action of that determined roman my brother who was seven years older than myself was brought up to my father's profession the extraordinary affection they lavished on me might be the reason he was too much neglected this certainly was a fault which cannot be justified his education and morals suffered by this neglect and he acquired the habits of a libertine before he arrived at an age to be really one my father tried what effect placing him with a master would produce but he still persisted in the same ill-conduct 
though i saw him so seldom that it could hardly be said we were acquainted i loved him tenderly and believe he had as strong an affection for me as a youth of his dissipated turn of mind could be supposed capable of one day i remember when my father was correcting him severely i threw myself between them embracing my brother whom i covered with my body receiving the strokes designed for him i persisted so obstinately in my protection that either softened by my cries and tears or fearing to hurt me most his anger subsided and he pardoned his fault in the end my brother's conduct became so bad that he suddenly disappeared and we learned some time after that he was in germany but he never wrote to us and from that day we heard no news of him thus i became an only son if this poor lad was neglected it was quite different with his brother for the children of a king could not be treated with more attention and tenderness than were bestowed on my infancy being the darling of the family and what is rather uncommon though treated as a beloved never a spoiled child was never permitted while under paternal inspection to play in the street with other children never had any occasion to contradict or indulge those fantastical humours which are usually attributed to nature but are in reality the effects of an injudicious education i had the faults common to my age was talkative a glutton and sometimes a liar made no scruple of stealing sweetmeats fruits or indeed any kind of eatables but never took delight in mischievous waste in accusing others or tormenting harmless animals i recollect indeed that one day while madame clot a neighbour of ours was gone to church i made water in her kettle the remembrance even now makes me smile for madame clot though if you please a good sort of creature was one of the most tedious grumbling old women i ever knew thus have i given a brief but faithful history of my childish transgressions End of section one. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section two of Confessions, volumes one and two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen confessions volumes one and two by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section two how could i become cruel or vicious 
when i had before my eyes only examples of mildness and was surrounded by some of the best people in the world my father my aunt my nurse my relations our friends our neighbours all i had any connection with did not obey me it is true but loved me tenderly and i returned their affection i found so little to excite my desires and those i had were so seldom contradicted that i was hardly sensible of possessing any and can solemnly aver i was an absolute stranger to caprice until after i had experienced the authority of a master those hours that were not employed in reading or writing with my father or walking with my governess jacqueline i spent with my aunt and whether seeing her embroider or hearing her sing whether sitting or standing by her side i was ever happy her tenderness and unaffected gaiety the charms of her figure and countenance have left such indelible impressions on my mind that her manner look and attitude are still before my eyes i recollect a thousand little caressing questions could describe her clothes her headdress nor have the two curls of fine black hair which hung on her temples according to the mode of that time escaped my memory though my taste or rather passion for music did not show itself until a considerable time after i am fully persuaded it is to her i am indebted for it she knew a great number of songs which she sung with great sweetness and melody the serenity and cheerfulness which were conspicuous in this lovely girl banished melancholy and made all round her happy the charms of her voice had such an effect on me that not only several of her songs have ever since remained on my memory but some i have not thought of from my infancy as i grow old return upon my mind with a charm altogether inexpressible would any one believe that an old dotard like me worn out with care and infirmity should sometimes surprise himself weeping like a child and in a voice querulous and broken by age muttering out one of those airs which were the favourites of my infancy there is one song in particular whose tune i perfectly recollect but the words that compose the latter half of it constantly refuse every effort to recall them though i have a confused idea of the rhymes the beginning with what i have been able to recollect of the remainder is as follows tircis je n'ose écouter ton chalumeau sous leurs mots car on en cause déjà dans notre amour 
ta 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 un berger s'engager sans danger et toujours l'épine est sous la rose i have endeavoured to account for the invincible charm my heart feels on the recollection of this fragment but it is altogether inexplicable i only know that before i get to the end of it i always find my voice interrupted by tenderness and my eyes suffused with tears i have a hundred times formed the resolution of writing to paris for the remainder of these words if any one should chance to know them but i am almost certain the pleasure i take in the recollection would be greatly diminished was i assured any one but my poor aunt suzanne had sung them such were my affections on entering this life thus began to form and demonstrate itself a heart at once haughty and tender a character effeminate yet invincible which fluctuating between weakness and courage luxury and virtue has ever set me in contradiction to myself causing abstinence and enjoyment pleasure and prudence equally to shun me this course of education was interrupted by an accident whose consequences influenced the rest of my life my father had a quarrel with monsieur g who had a captain's commission in france and was related to several of the council this g who was an insolent ungenerous man happening to bleed at the nose in order to be revenged accused my father of having drawn his sword on him in the city and in consequence of this charge they were about to conduct him to prison he insisted according to the law of this republic that the accuser should be confined at the same time and not being able to obtain this preferred a voluntary banishment for the remainder of his life to giving up a point by which he must sacrifice his honour and liberty i remained under the tuition of my uncle bernard who was at that time employed in the fortifications of geneva he had lost his eldest daughter but had a son about my own age and we were sent together to bosset to board with the minister lambercier here we were to learn latin with all the insignificant trash that has obtained the name of education two years spent in this village softened in some degree my roman fierceness and again reduced me to a state of childhood at geneva where nothing was exacted i loved reading which was indeed my principal amusement but at bossé where application was expected i was fond of play as a relaxation 
the country was so new so charming in my idea that it seemed impossible to find satiety in its enjoyments and i conceived a passion for rural life which time has not been able to extinguish nor have i ever ceased to regret the pure and tranquil pleasures i enjoyed at this place in my childhood the remembrance having followed me through every age even to that in which i am hastening again towards it Monsieur Lambercier was a worthy, sensible man, who, without neglecting our instruction, never made our acquisitions burthensome, or tasks tedious. What convinces me of the rectitude of his method is that, notwithstanding my extreme aversion to restraint, the recollection of my studies is never attended with disgust and if my improvement was trivial it was obtained with ease and has never escaped memory the simplicity of this rural life was of infinite advantage in opening my heart to the reception of true friendship the sentiments i had hitherto formed on this subject were extremely elevated but altogether imaginary the habit of living in this peaceful manner soon united me tenderly to my cousin bernard my affection was more ardent than that i had felt for my brother nor has time ever been able to efface it he was a tall lank weakly boy with a mind as mild as his body was feeble and who did not wrong the good opinion they were disposed to entertain for the son of my guardian our studies amusements and tasks were the same we were alone each wanted a playmate to separate would in some measure have been to annihilate us though we had not many opportunities of demonstrating our attachment to each other it was certainly extreme and so far from enduring the thought of separation we could not even form an idea that we should ever be able to submit to it each of a disposition to be won by kindness and complacent when not soured by contradiction we agreed in every particular if by the favour of those who governed us he had the ascendant while in their presence i was sure to acquire it when we were alone and this preserved the equilibrium so necessary in friendship if he hesitated in repeating his task i prompted him when my exercises were finished i helped to write his and in our amusements my disposition being most active ever had the lead in a word our characters accorded so well and the friendship that subsisted between us was so cordial that during the five years we were at bosset and geneva we were inseparable 
we often fought it is true but there was never any occasion to separate us no one of our quarrels lasted more than a quarter of an hour and never in our lives did we make any complaint of each other it may be said these remarks are frivolous but perhaps a similar example among children can hardly be produced the manner in which i passed my time at bosset was so agreeable to my disposition that it only required a longer duration absolutely to have fixed my character which would have had only peaceable affectionate benevolent sentiments for its basis i believe no individual of our kind ever possessed less natural vanity than myself at intervals by an extraordinary effort i arrived at sublime ideas but presently sunk again into my original languor to be loved by every one who knew me was my most ardent wish i was naturally mild my cousin was equally so and those who had the care of us were of similar dispositions everything contributed to strengthen those propensities which nature had implanted in my breast and during the two years i was neither the victim nor witness of any violent emotions i knew nothing so delightful as to see every one content not only with me but all that concerned them when repeating our catechism at church nothing could give me greater vexation on being obliged to hesitate than to see mademoiselle lambercier's countenance express disapprobation and uneasiness this alone was more afflicting to me than the shame of faltering before so many witnesses which notwithstanding was sufficiently painful for though not over-solicitous of praise i was feelingly alive to shame yet i can truly affirm the dread of being reprimanded by mademoiselle lambercier alarmed me less than the thought of making her uneasy neither she nor her brother were deficient in a reasonable severity but as this was scarce ever exerted without just cause i was more afflicted at their disapprobation than the punishment certainly the method of treating youth would be altered if the distant effects this indiscriminate and frequently indiscreet method produces were more conspicuous i would willingly excuse myself from a further explanation did not the lesson this example conveys which points out an evil as frequent as it is pernicious forbid my silence as mademoiselle lambercier felt a mother's affection she sometimes exerted a mother's authority even to inflicting on us when we deserved it 
the punishment of infants she had often threatened it and this threat of a treatment entirely new appeared to me extremely dreadful but i found the reality much less terrible than the idea and what is still more unaccountable this punishment increased my affection for the person who had inflicted it all this affection aided by my natural mildness was scarcely sufficient to prevent my seeking by fresh offences a return of the same chastisement for a degree of sensuality had mingled with the smart and shame which left more desire than fear of a repetition i was well convinced the same discipline from her brother would have produced a quite contrary effect but from a man of his disposition this was not probable and if i abstained from meriting correction it was merely from a fear of offending mademoiselle lambercier for benevolence aided by the passions has ever maintained an empire over me which has given law to my heart this event which though desirable i had not endeavoured to accelerate arrived without my fault i should say without my seeking and i profited by it with a safe conscience but this second was also the last time for mademoiselle lambercier who doubtless had some reason to imagine this chastisement did not produce the desired effect declared it was too fatiguing and that she renounced it for the future till now we had slept in her chamber and during the winter even in her bed but two days after another room was prepared for us and from that moment i had the honour which i could very well have dispensed with of being treated by her as a great boy who would believe this childish discipline received at eight years old from the hands of a woman of thirty should influence my propensities my desires my passions for the rest of my life and that in quite a contrary sense from what might naturally have been expected the very incident that inflamed my senses gave my desires such an extraordinary turn that confined to what i had already experienced i sought no further and with blood boiling with sensuality almost from my birth preserved my purity beyond the age when the coldest constitutions lose their insensibility long tormented without knowing by what i gazed on every handsome woman with delight imagination incessantly brought their charms to my remembrance only to transform them into so many mademoiselle lambercier's
End of section two. Recording by Martin Geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section three of Confessions, volumes one and two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section 3 If ever education was perfectly chaste, it was certainly that I received. My three aunts were not only of exemplary prudence, but maintained a degree of modest reserve which women have long since thought unnecessary my father it is true loved pleasure but his gallantry was rather of the last than the present century and he never expressed his affection for any woman he regarded in terms a virgin could have blushed at indeed it was impossible more attention should be paid to that regard we owe the morals of children than was uniformly observed by every one i had any concern with an equal degree of reserve in this particular was observed at m lambercier's where a good maid-servant was discharged for having once made use of an expression before us which was thought to contain some degree of indelicacy i had no precise idea of the ultimate effect of the passions but the conception i had formed was extremely disgusting i entertained a particular aversion for courtesans nor could i look on a rake without a degree of disdain mingled with terror these prejudices of education proper in themselves to retard the first explosions of a combustible constitution were strengthened as i have already hinted by the effect the first moments of sensuality produced in me for notwithstanding the troublesome ebullition of my blood i was satisfied with the species of voluptuousness i had already been acquainted with and sought no further thus i passed the age of puberty with a constitution extremely ardent without knowing or even wishing for any other gratification of the passions than what mademoiselle lambercier had innocently given me an idea of and when i became a man that childish taste instead of vanishing only associated with the other this folly joined to a natural timidity has always prevented my being very enterprising with women so that i have passed my days in languishing in silence for those i most admired without daring to disclose my wishes to fall at the feet of an imperious mistress obey her mandates or implore pardon 
were for me the most exquisite enjoyments and the more my blood was inflamed by the efforts of a lively imagination the more i acquired the appearance of a whining lover it will be readily conceived that this mode of making love is not attended with a rapid progress or imminent danger to the virtue of its object yet though i have few favours to boast of i have not been excluded from enjoyment however imaginary thus the senses in concurrence with a mind equally timid and romantic have preserved my morale chaste and feelings uncorrupted with precisely the same inclinations which seconded with a moderate portion of effrontery might have plunged me into the most unwarrantable excesses i have made the first most difficult step in the obscure and painful maze of my confessions we never feel so great a degree of repugnance in divulging what is really criminal as what is merely ridiculous i am now assured of my resolution for after what i have dared disclose nothing can have power to deter me the difficulty attending these acknowledgments will be readily conceived when i declare that during the whole of my life though frequently labouring under the most violent agitation being hurried away with the impetuosity of a passion which when in company with those i loved deprived me of the faculty of sight and hearing i could never in the course of the most unbounded familiarity acquire sufficient resolution to declare my folly and implore the only favour that remained to bestow in thus investigating the first traces of my sensible existence i find elements which though seemingly incompatible have united to produce a simple and uniform effect while others apparently the same have by the concurrence of certain circumstances formed such different combinations that it would never be imagined they had any affinity who would believe for example that one of the most vigorous springs of my soul was tempered in the identical source from whence luxury and ease mingled with my constitution and circulated in my veins before i quit this subject i will add a striking instance of the different effects they produced one day while i was studying in a chamber contiguous to the kitchen the maid set some of mademoiselle lambercier's combs to dry by the fire and on coming to fetch them some time after was surprised to find the teeth of one of them broken off who could be suspected of this mischief 
no one but myself had entered the room i was questioned but denied having any knowledge of it monsieur and mademoiselle lambercier consult exhort threaten but all to no purpose i obstinately persist in the denial and though this was the first time i had been detected in a confirmed falsehood appearances were so strong that they overthrew all my protestations this affair was thought serious the mischief the lie the obstinacy were considered equally deserving of punishment which was not now to be administered by mademoiselle lambercier my uncle bernard was written to he arrived and my poor cousin being charged with a crime no less serious we were conducted to the same execution which was inflicted with great severity if finding a remedy in the evil itself they had sought ever to allay my depraved desires they could not have chosen a shorter method to accomplish their designs and i can assure my readers i was for a long time freed from the dominion of them as this severity could not draw from me the expected acknowledgment which obstinacy brought on several repetitions and reduced me to a deplorable situation yet i was immovable and resolutely determined to suffer death rather than submit force at length was obliged to yield to the diabolical infatuation of a child for no better name was bestowed on my constancy and i came out of this dreadful trial torn it is true but triumphant fifty years have expired since this adventure the fear of punishment is no more well then i aver in the face of heaven i was absolutely innocent and so far from breaking or even touching the comb never came near the fire it will be asked how did this mischief happen i can form no conception of it i only know my own innocence let any one figure to himself a character whose leading traits were docility and timidity but haughty ardent and invincible in its passions a child hitherto governed by the voice of reason treated with mildness equity and complaisance who could not even support the idea of injustice experiencing for the first time so violent an instance of it inflicted by those he most loved and respected what perversion of ideas what confusion in the heart the brain in all my little being intelligent and moral let any one i say if possible imagine all this 
for i am incapable of giving the least idea of what passed in my mind at that period my reason was not sufficiently established to enable me to put myself in the place of others and judge how much appearances condemned me i only beheld the rigour of a dreadful chastisement inflicted for a crime i had not committed yet i can truly affirm the smart i suffered though violent was inconsiderable compared to what i felt from indignation rage and despair my cousin who was almost in similar circumstances having been punished for an involuntary fault as guilty of a premeditated crime became furious by my example both in the same bed we embraced each other with convulsive transport we were almost suffocated and when our young hearts found sufficient relief to breathe out our indignation we sat up in the bed and with all our force repeated a hundred times carnifex 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 executioner tormentor even while i write this i feel my pulse quicken and should i live a hundred thousand years the agitation of that moment would still be fresh in my memory the first instance of violence and oppression is so deeply engraved on my soul that every relative idea renews my emotion the sentiment of indignation which in its origin had reference only to myself has acquired such strength and is at present so completely detached from personal motives that my heart is as much inflamed at the sight or relation of any act of injustice whatever may be the object or wheresoever it may be perpetrated as if i was the immediate sufferer when i read the history of a merciless tyrant or the dark and the subtle machination of a knavish designing priest i could on the instant set off to stab the miscreants though i was certain to perish in the attempt i have frequently fatigued myself by running after and stoning a cock a cow a dog or any animal i saw tormenting another only because it was conscious of possessing superior strength this may be natural to me and i am inclined to believe it is though the lively impression of the first injustice i became the victim of was too long and too powerfully remembered not to have added considerable force to it this occurrence terminated my infantine serenity from that moment i ceased to enjoy a pure unadulterated happiness and on a retrospection of the pleasures of my childhood 
i yet feel they ended here we continued at bosset some months after this event but were like our first parents in the garden of eden after they had lost their innocence in appearance our situation was the same in effect it was totally different affection respect intimacy confidence no longer attached the pupils to their guides we beheld them no longer as divinities who could read the secrets of our hearts we were less ashamed of committing faults more afraid of being accused of them we learned to dissemble to rebel to lie all the vices common to our years began to corrupt our happy innocence mingle with our sports and embitter our amusements the country itself losing those sweet and simple charms which captivate the heart appeared a gloomy desert or covered with a veil that concealed its beauties we cultivated our little gardens no more our flowers were neglected we no longer scratched away the mould and broke out into exclamations of delight on discovering that the grain we had sown began to shoot we were disgusted with our situation our preceptors were weary of us in a word my uncle wrote for our return and we left monsieur and mademoiselle lambercier without feeling any regret at the separation end of section three recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section four of confessions volumes one and two this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes one and two by jean jacques rousseau anonymously translated section four near thirty years passed away from my leaving bosset without once recalling the place to my mind with any degree of satisfaction but after having passed the prime of life as i decline into old age while more recent occurrences are wearing out apace i feel these remembrances revive and imprint themselves on my heart with a force and charm that every day acquires fresh strength as if feeling life fleet from me i endeavoured to catch it again by its commencement the most trifling incidents of those happy days delight me for no other reason than being of those days i recall every circumstance of time place and persons i see the maid or footman busy in the chamber a swallow entering the window 
a fly settling on my hand while repeating my lessons i see the whole economy of the apartment on the right hand monsieur lambercier's closet with a print representing all the popes a barometer a large almanac the windows of the house which stood in a hollow at the bottom of the garden shaded by raspberry shrubs whose shoots sometimes found entrance i am sensible the reader has no occasion to know all this but i feel a kind of necessity for relating it why am i not permitted to recount all the little anecdotes of that thrice happy age at the recollection of whose joys i ever tremble with delight five or six particularly let us compromise the matter i will give up five but then i must have one and only one provided i may draw it out to its utmost length in order to prolong my satisfaction if i only sought yours i should choose that of mademoiselle lambercier's backside which by an unlucky fall at the bottom of the meadow was exposed to the view of the king of sardinia who happened to be passing by but that of the walnut-tree on the terrace is more amusing to me since here i was an actor whereas in the above-mentioned scene i was only a spectator and i must confess i see nothing that should occasion risibility in an accident which however laughable in itself alarmed me for a person i loved as a mother or perhaps something more ye curious readers whose expectations are already on the stretch for the noble history of the terrace listen to the tragedy and abstain from trembling if you can at the horrible catastrophe at the outside of the courtyard door on the left hand was a terrace here they often sat after dinner but it was subject to one inconvenience being too much exposed to the rays of the sun to obviate this defect Monsieur Lambercier had a walnut-tree set there, the planting of which was attended with great solemnity. The two borders were godfathers, and while the earth was replacing round the root, each held the tree with one hand, singing songs of triumph. In order to water it with more effect, they formed a kind of luçon reader's note hollow around its foot myself and cousin who were every day ardent spectators of this watering confirmed each other in the very natural idea that it was nobler to plant trees on the terrace than colours on a breach and this glory we were resolved to procure without dividing it with any one in pursuance of this resolution we cut a slip off a willow 
and planted it on the terrace at about eight or ten feet distance from the august walnut tree we did not forget to make a hollow round it but the difficulty was how to procure a supply of water which was brought from a considerable distance and we not permitted to fetch it but water was absolutely necessary for our willow and we made use of every stratagem to obtain it for a few days everything succeeded so well that it began to bud and throw out small leaves which we hourly measured convinced though now scarce a foot from the ground it would soon afford us a refreshing shade this unfortunate willow by engrossing our whole time rendered us incapable of application to any other study and the cause of our inattention not being known we were kept closer than before the fatal moment approached when water must fail and we were already afflicted with the idea that our tree must perish with drought at length necessity the parent of industry suggested an invention by which we might save our tree from death and ourselves from despair it was to make a furrow underground which would privately conduct a part of the water from the walnut tree to our willow this undertaking was executed with ardour but did not immediately succeed our descent was not skilfully planned the water did not run the earth falling in and stopping up the furrow yet though all went contrary nothing discouraged us omnia vincit labor improbus we made the basin deeper to give the water a more sensible descent we cut the bottom of a box into narrow planks increased the channel from the walnut tree to our willow and laying a row flat at the bottom set two others inclining towards each other so as to form a triangular channel we formed a kind of grating with small sticks at the end next the walnut tree to prevent the earth and stones from stopping it up and having carefully covered our work with well-trodden earth in a transport of hope and fear attended the hour of watering after an interval which seemed an age of expectation this hour arrived monsieur lambercier as usual assisted at the operation we contrived to get between him and our tree towards which he fortunately turned his back they no sooner began to pour the first pail of water than we perceived it running to the willow this sight was too much for our prudence and we involuntarily expressed our transport by a shout of joy the sudden exclamation made m lambercier turn about 
though at that instant he was delighted to observe how greedily the earth which surrounded the root of his walnut-tree imbibed the water surprised at seeing two trenches partake of it he shouted in his turn examines perceives the roguery and sending instantly for a pickaxe at one fatal blow makes two or three of our planks fly crying out meantime with all his strength an aqueduct an aqueduct his strokes redoubled every one of which made an impression on our hearts in a moment the planks the channel the basin even our favourite willow all were ploughed up nor was one word pronounced during this terrible transaction except the above-mentioned exclamation an aqueduct repeated he while destroying all our hopes an aqueduct an aqueduct it may be supposed this adventure had a still more melancholy end for the young architects this however was not the case the affair ended here m lambercier never reproached us on this account nor was his countenance clouded with a frown we even heard him mention the circumstance to his sister with loud bursts of laughter the laugh of m lambercier might be heard to a considerable distance but what is still more surprising after the first transport of sorrow had subsided we did not find ourselves violently afflicted we planted a tree in another spot and frequently recollected the catastrophe of the former repeating with a significant emphasis an aqueduct an aqueduct till then at intervals i had fits of ambition and could fancy myself brutus or aristides but this was the first visible effect of my vanity to have constructed an aqueduct with our own hands to have set a slip of willow in competition with a flourishing tree appeared to me a supreme degree of glory i had a juster conception of it at ten than caesar entertained at thirty the idea of this walnut tree with the little anecdotes it gave rise to have so well continued or returned to my memory that the design which conveyed the most pleasing sensations during my journey to geneva in the year seventeen hundred and fifty four was visiting bosset and reviewing the monuments of my infantine amusement above all the beloved walnut-tree whose age at that time must have been verging on a third of a century but i was so beset with company that i could not find a moment to accomplish my design 
there is little appearance now of the occasion being renewed but should i ever return to that charming spot and find my favourite walnut-tree still existing i am convinced i should water it with my tears on my return to geneva i passed two or three years at my uncle's expecting the determination of my friends respecting my future establishment his own son being devoted to genius was taught drawing and instructed by his father in the elements of euclid i partook of these instructions but was principally fond of drawing meantime they were irresolute whether to make me a watchmaker a lawyer or a minister i should have preferred being a minister as i thought it must be a charming thing to preach but the trifling income which had been my mother's and was to be divided between my brother and myself was too inconsiderable to defray the expense attending the prosecution of my studies as my age did not render the choice very pressing i remained with my uncle passing my time with very little improvement and paying pretty dear though not unreasonably for my board my uncle like my father was a man of pleasure but had not learned like him to abridge his amusements for the sake of instructing his family consequently our education was neglected my aunt was a devotee who loved singing psalms better than thinking of our improvement so that we were left entirely to ourselves which liberty we never abused ever inseparable we were all the world to each other and feeling no inclination to frequent the company of a number of disorderly lads of our own age we learned none of those habits of libertinism to which our idle life exposed us perhaps i am wrong in charging myself and cousin with idleness at this time for in our lives we were never less so and what was extremely fortunate so incessantly occupied with our amusements that we found no temptation to spend any part of our time in the streets we made cages pipes kites drums houses ships and bows spoiled the tools of my good old grandfather by endeavouring to make watches in imitation of him but our favourite amusement was wasting paper in drawing washing colouring etc there came an italian mountebank to geneva called gamber corta who had an exhibition of puppets that he made play a kind of comedy we went once to see them but could not spare time to go again being busily employed in making puppets of our own and inventing comedies which we immediately set about making them perform 
mimicking to the best of our abilities the uncouth voice of punch and to complete the business my good aunt and uncle bernard had the patience to see and listen to our imitations but my uncle having one day read an elaborate discourse to his family we instantly gave up our comedies and began composing sermons these details i confess are not very amusing but they serve to demonstrate that the former part of our education was well directed since being at such an early age the absolute masters of our time we found no inclination to abuse it and so little in want of other companions that we constantly neglected every occasion of seeking them when taking our walks together we observed their diversions without feeling any inclination to partake of them friendship so entirely occupied our hearts that pleased with each other's company the simplest pastimes were sufficient to delight us we were soon remarked for being thus inseparable and what rendered us more conspicuous my cousin was very tall myself extremely short so that we exhibited a very whimsical contrast this meagre figure small sallow countenance heavy air and supine gait excited the ridicule of the children who in the gibberish of the country nicknamed him Barnabredanna, readers note ass in a bridle and we no sooner got out of doors than our ears were assailed with a repetition of Barnabredanna he bore this indignity with tolerable patience but i was instantly for fighting this was what the young rogues aimed at i engaged accordingly and was beat my poor cousin did all in his power to assist me but he was weak and a single stroke brought him to the ground i then became furious and received several smart blows some of which were aimed at barnabredanna this quarrel so far increased the evil that to avoid their insults we could only show ourselves in the streets while they were employed at school end of section four Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section 5 of Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2 by Jean-Jacques Rousseau anonymously translated section five i had already become a redresser of grievances 
there only wanted a lady in the way to be a knight-errant in form this defect was soon supplied i presently had two i frequently went to see my father at nyon a small city in the vaudois country where he was now settled being universally respected the affection entertained for him extended to me and during my visits the question seemed to be who should show me most kindness a madame de vulson in particular loaded me with caresses and to complete all her daughter made me her gallant i need not explain what kind of gallant a boy of eleven must be to a girl of two-and-twenty the artful hussies know how to set these puppets up in front to conceal more serious engagements on my part i saw no inequality between myself and mademoiselle vulson was flattered by the circumstance and went into it with my whole heart or rather my whole head for this passion certainly reached no further though it transported me almost to madness and frequently produced scenes sufficient to make even a cynic expire with laughter i have experienced two kinds of love equally real which have scarce any affinity yet differing materially from tender friendship my whole life has been divided between these affections and i have frequently felt the power of both at the same instant for example at the very time i so publicly and tyrannically claimed mademoiselle vulson that i could not suffer any other of my sex to approach her i had short but passionate assignations with a mademoiselle goton who thought proper to act the schoolmistress with me our meetings though absolutely childish afforded me the height of happiness i felt the whole charm of mystery and repaid mademoiselle vulson in kind when she least expected it the use she made of me in concealing her amours to my great mortification this secret was soon discovered and i presently lost my young schoolmistress mademoiselle goton was in fact a singular personage she was not handsome yet there was a certain something in her figure which could not easily be forgotten and this for an old fool i am too often convinced of her eyes in particular neither corresponded with her age her height nor her manner she had a lofty imposing air which agreed extremely well with the character she assumed but the most extraordinary part of her composition was a mixture of forwardness and reserve difficult to be conceived 
and while she took the greatest liberties with me would never permit any to be taken with her in return treating me precisely like a child this makes me suppose she had either ceased herself to be one or was yet sufficiently so to behold us play the danger to which this folly exposed her i was so absolutely in the power of both these mistresses that when in the presence of either i never thought of her who was absent in other respects the effects they produced on me bore no affinity i could have passed my whole life with mademoiselle vulson without forming a wish to quit her but then my satisfaction was attended with a pleasing serenity and in numerous companies i was particularly charmed with her the sprightly sallies of her wit the arch glance of her eye even jealousy itself strengthened my attachment and i triumphed in the preference she seemed to bestow on me while addressed by more powerful rivals applause encouragement and smiles gave animation to my happiness surrounded by a throng of observers i felt the whole force of love i was passionate transported in a tete-a-tete i should have been constrained thoughtful perhaps unhappy if mademoiselle vulson was ill i suffered with her would willingly have given up my own health to establish hers and observe i knew the want of it from experience if absent she employed my thoughts i felt the want of her when present her caresses came with warmth and rapture to my heart though my senses were unaffected the familiarities she bestowed on me i could not have supported the idea of her granting to another i loved her with a brother's affection only but experienced all the jealousy of a lover with mademoiselle Gauton, this passion might have acquired a degree of fury i should have been a turk a tiger had i once imagined she bestowed her favours on any but myself the pleasure i felt on approaching mademoiselle vulson was sufficiently ardent though unattended with uneasy sensations but at sight of mademoiselle Gauton, i felt myself bewildered every sense was absorbed in ecstasy i believe it would have been impossible to have remained long with her i must have been suffocated with the violence of my palpitations i equally dreaded giving either of them displeasure with one i was more complacent with the other more submissive 
i would not have offended mademoiselle vulson for the world but if mademoiselle goton had commanded me to throw myself into the flames i think i should have instantly obeyed her happily both for her and myself our amours or rather rendezvous were not of long duration and though my connection with mademoiselle vulson was less dangerous after a continuance of some greater length that likewise had its catastrophe indeed the termination of a love affair is good for nothing unless it partakes of the romantic and can furnish out at least an exclamation though my correspondence with mademoiselle vulson was less animated it was perhaps more endearing we never separated without tears and it can hardly be conceived what a void i felt in my heart i could neither think nor speak of anything but her these romantic sorrows were not affected though i am inclined to believe they did not absolutely centre in her for i am persuaded though i did not perceive it at that time being deprived of amusement bore a considerable share in them to soften the rigour of absence we agreed to correspond with each other and the pathetic expressions these letters contained were sufficient to have split a rock in a word i had the honour of her not being able to endure the pain of separation she came to see me at geneva my head was now completely turned and during the two days she remained here i was intoxicated with delight at her departure i would have thrown myself into the water after her and absolutely rent the air with my cries the week following she sent me sweetmeats gloves etc this certainly would have appeared extremely gallant had i not been informed of her marriage at the same instant and that the journey i had thought proper to give myself the honour of was only to buy her wedding suit my indignation may easily be conceived i shall not attempt to describe it in this heroic fury i swore never more to see the perfidious girl supposing it the greatest punishment that could be inflicted on her this however did not occasion her death for twenty years after while on a visit to my father being on the lake i asked who those ladies were in a boat not far from ours what said my father smiling does not your heart inform you it is your former flame it is madame christin or if you please mademoiselle vulson 
i started at the almost forgotten name and instantly ordered the waterman to turn off not judging it worth while to be perjured however favourable the opportunity for revenge in renewing a dispute of twenty years past with a woman of forty End of section five. Recording by Martin Geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section six of Confessions, volumes one and two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section 6 Thus, before my future destination was determined, did I fool away the most precious moments of my youth. After deliberating a long time on the bent of my natural inclinations, they resolved to dispose of me in a manner the most repugnant to them. I was sent to Monsieur Masseron, the city register, to learn, according to the expression of my uncle Bernard, the thriving occupation of a scraper. This nickname was inconceivably displeasing to me and I promised myself but little satisfaction in the prospect of heaping up money by a mean employment. The assiduity and subjection required completed my disgust, and I never set foot in the office without feeling a kind of horror which every day gained fresh strength. Monsieur Masseron, who was not better pleased with my abilities than I was with the employment, treated me with disdain, incessantly upbraiding me with being a fool and blockhead, not forgetting to repeat that my uncle had assured him I was a knowing one, though he could not find that I knew anything that he had promised to furnish him with a sprightly boy, but had, in truth, sent him an ass. To conclude, I was turned out of the registry, with the additional ignominy of being pronounced a fool by all Monsieur Masseron's clerks, and fit only to handle a file my vocation thus determined i was bound apprentice not however to a watchmaker but to an engraver and i had been so completely humiliated by the contempt of the register that i submitted without a murmur my master whose name was monsieur ducommon was a young man of a very violent and boorish character, who contrived in a short time to tarnish all the amiable qualities of my childhood, to stupefy a disposition naturally sprightly, 
and reduce my feelings as well as my condition to an absolute state of servitude i forgot my latin history and antiquities i could hardly recollect whether such people as romans ever existed when i visited my father he no longer beheld his idol nor could the ladies recognize the gallant jean-jacques nay i was so well convinced that monsieur and mademoiselle lambercier would scarce receive me as their pupil that i endeavoured to avoid their company and from that time have never seen them the vilest inclinations, the basest actions, succeeded my amiable amusements, and even obliterated the very remembrance of them. I must have had, in spite of my good education, a great propensity to degenerate, else the declension could not have followed with such ease and rapidity for never did so promising a caesar so quickly become a laradon the art itself did not displease me i had a lively taste for drawing there was nothing displeasing in the exercise of the graver and as it required no very extraordinary abilities to attain perfection as a watch-case engraver I hoped to arrive at it. Perhaps I should have accomplished my design, if unreasonable restraint, added to the brutality of my master, had not rendered my business disgusting. I wasted his time, and employed myself in engraving medals, which served me and my companions as a kind of insignia for a new invented order of chivalry and though this differed very little from my usual employ i considered it as a relaxation unfortunately my master caught me at this contraband labour and a severe beating was the consequence he reproached me at the same time with attempting to make counterfeit money because our medals bore the arms of the republic though i can truly aver i had no conception of false money and very little of the true knowing better how to make a roman ass than one of our threepenny pieces my master's tyranny rendered insupportable that labour i should otherwise have loved and drove me to vices i naturally despised such as falsehood idleness and theft nothing ever gave me a clearer demonstration of the difference between filial dependence and abject slavery than the remembrance of the change produced in me at that period hitherto i had enjoyed a reasonable liberty this i had suddenly lost i was enterprising at my father's free at monsieur lambercier's discreet at my uncle's 
but with my master i became fearful and from that moment my mind was vitiated accustomed to live on terms of perfect equality to be witness of no pleasures i could not command to see no dish i was not to partake of or be sensible of a desire i might not express to be able to bring every wish of my heart to my lips what a transition at my master's i was scarce allowed to speak was forced to quit the table without tasting what i most longed for and the room when i had nothing particular to do there was incessantly confined to my work while the liberty my master and his journeymen enjoyed served only to increase the weight of my subjection when disputes happened to arise though conscious that i understood the subject better than any of them i dared not offer my opinion in a word everything i saw became an object of desire for no other reason than because i was not permitted to enjoy anything farewell gaiety ease those happy turns of expression which formerly even made my faults escape correction i recollect with pleasure a circumstance which happened at my father's which even now makes me smile being for some fault ordered to bed without my supper as i was passing through the kitchen with my poor morsel of bread in my hand i saw the meat turning on the spit my father and the rest were round the fire i must bow to every one as i passed when i had gone through this ceremony leering with a wistful eye at the roast meat which looked so inviting and smelt so savoury i could not abstain from making that a bow likewise adding in a pitiful tone good-bye roast meal this unpremeditated pleasantry put them in such good humour that i was permitted to stay and partake of it perhaps the same thing might have produced a similar effect at my master's but such a thought could never have occurred to me or if it had i should not have had courage to express it thus i learned to covet dissemble lie and at length to steal a propensity i never felt the least idea of before though since that time i have never been able entirely to divest myself of it desire and inability united naturally led to this vice which is the reason pilfering is so common among footmen and apprentices though the latter as they grow up and find themselves in a situation where everything is at their command lose this shameful propensity as i never experienced the advantage 
I never enjoyed the benefit. Good sentiments, ill-directed, frequently lead children into vice. Notwithstanding my continual wants and temptations, it was more than a year before I could resolve to take even eatables. My first theft was occasioned by complacence, but it was productive of others which had not so plausible an excuse. End of section six. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section seven of Confessions, volumes one and two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, volumes one and two, by Jean Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section seven. My master had a journeyman named Verrat, whose mother lived in the neighbourhood, and had a garden at a considerable distance from the house, which produced excellent asparagus. This Verrat, who had no great plenty of money, took it in his head to rob her of the most early production of her garden and by the sale of it procure those indulgences he could not otherwise afford himself. But not being very nimble, he did not care to run the hazard of a surprise. After some preliminary flattery, which I did not comprehend the meaning of, he proposed this expedition to me as an idea which had that moment struck him. At first I would not listen to the proposal, but he persisted in his solicitation, and as I could never resist the attacks of flattery, at length prevailed. In pursuance of this virtuous resolution, I every morning repaired to the garden, gathered the best of the asparagus, and took it to the Mollard, where some good old women, who guessed how I came by it, wishing to diminish the price, made no secret of their suspicions. This produced the desired effect, for being alarmed I took whatever they offered which being taken to Monsieur Verrat was presently metamorphosed into a breakfast, and divided with a companion of his, for though I procured it, I never partook of their good cheer, being fully satisfied with an inconsiderable bribe. I executed my roguery with the greatest fidelity seeking only to please my employer. And several days passed before it came into my head to rob the robber, and tithe Monsieur Verrat's harvest. I never considered the hazard I ran in these expeditions, not only of a torrent of abuse, 
but what i should have been still more sensible of a hearty beating for the miscreant who received the whole benefit would certainly have denied all knowledge of the fact and i should only have received a double portion of punishment for daring to accuse him since being only an apprentice i stood no chance of being believed in opposition to a journeyman thus in every situation powerful rogues know how to save themselves at the expense of the feeble this practice taught me it was not so terrible to thieve as i had imagined i took care to make this discovery turn to some account helping myself to everything within my reach that i conceived an inclination for i was not absolutely ill-fed at my master's and temperance was only painful to me by comparing it with the luxury he enjoyed the custom of sending young people from table precisely when those things are served up which seem most tempting is calculated to increase their longing and induces them to steal what they conceive to be so delicious it may be supposed i was not backward in this particular in general my knavery succeeded pretty well though quite the reverse when i happened to be detected i recollect an attempt to procure some apples which was attended with circumstances that make me smile and shudder even at this instant the fruit was standing in the pantry which by a lattice at a considerable height received light from the kitchen one day being alone in the house i climbed up to see these precious apples which being out of my reach made this pantry appear the garden of the hesperides i fetched the spit tried if it would reach them it was too short i lengthened it with a small one which was used for game my master being very fond of hunting darted at them several times without success at length was more fortunate being transported to find i was bringing up an apple i drew it gently to the lattice was going to seize it when who can express my grief and astonishment i found it would not pass through it was too large i tried every expedient to accomplish my design sought supporters to keep the spits in the same position a knife to divide the apple and a lath to hold it with at length i so far succeeded as to effect the division and made no doubt of drawing the pieces through but it was scarcely separated compassionate reader sympathize with my affliction when both pieces fell into the pantry 
though i lost time by this experiment i did not lose courage but dreading a surprise i put off the attempt till next day when i hoped to be more successful and returned to my work as if nothing had happened without once thinking of what the two obvious witnesses i had left in the pantry deposed against me the next day a fine opportunity offering i renew the trial i fasten the spits together get on the stool take aim am just going to dart at my prey unfortunately the dragon did not sleep the pantry door opens my master makes his appearance and looking up exclaims bravo the horror of that moment returns the pen drops from my hand a continual repetition of ill-treatment rendered me callous it seemed a kind of composition for my crimes which authorised me to continue them and instead of looking back at the punishment i looked forward to revenge being beat like a slave i judged i had a right to all the vices of one i was convinced that to rob and be punished were inseparable and constituted if i may so express myself a kind of traffic in which if i perform my part of the bargain my master would take care not to be deficient in his that preliminary settled i applied myself to thieving with great tranquillity and whenever this interrogatory occurred to my mind what will be the consequence the reply was ready i know the worst i shall be beat no matter i was made for it i love good eating am sensual but not greedy I have such a variety of inclinations to gratify that this can never predominate and unless my heart is unoccupied which very rarely happens i pay but little attention to my appetite to purloining eatables but extended this propensity to everything i wished to possess and if i did not become a robber in form it was only because money never tempted me my master had a closet in the workshop which he kept locked this i contrived to open and shut as often as i pleased and laid his best tools fine drawings impressions in a word everything he wished to keep from me under contribution these thefts were so far innocent that they were always employed in his service but i was transported at having the trifles in my possession and imagined i stole the art with its productions 
besides what i have mentioned his boxes contained threads of gold and silver a number of small jewels valuable medals and money yet though i seldom had five sous in my pocket i do not recollect ever having cast a wishful look at them on the contrary i beheld these valuables rather with terror than with delight i am convinced the dread of taking money was in a great measure the effect of education there was mingled with the idea of it the fear of infamy a prison punishment and death had i even felt the temptation these objects would have made me tremble whereas my failings appeared a species of waggery and in truth they were little else they could but occasion a good trimming and this i was already prepared for a sheet of fine drawing-paper was a greater temptation than money sufficient to have purchased a ream this unreasonable caprice is connected with one of the most striking singularities of my character and has so far influenced my conduct that it requires a particular explanation my passions are extremely violent while under their influence nothing can equal my impetuosity i am an absolute stranger to discretion respect fear or decorum rude saucy violent and intrepid no shame can stop no danger intimidate me my mind is frequently so engrossed by a single object that beyond it the whole world is not worth a thought this is the enthusiasm of a moment the next perhaps i am plunged in a state of annihilation take me in my moments of tranquillity i am indolence and timidity itself a word to speak the least trifle to perform appear an intolerable labour everything alarms and terrifies me the very buzzing of a fly will make me shudder i am so subdued by fear and shame that i would gladly shield myself from mortal view when obliged to exert myself i am ignorant what to do when forced to speak i am at a loss for words and if any one looks at me i am instantly out of countenance if animated with my subject i express my thoughts with ease but in ordinary conversations i can say nothing absolutely nothing and being obliged to speak renders them insupportable i may add that none of my predominant inclinations centres in those pleasures which are to be purchased 
money empoisons my delight i must have them unadulterated i love those of the table for instance but cannot endure the restraints of good company or the intemperance of taverns i can enjoy them only with a friend for alone it is equally impossible my imagination is then so occupied with other things that i find no pleasure in eating women who are to be purchased have no charms for me my beating heart cannot be satisfied without affection it is the same with every other enjoyment if not truly disinterested they are absolutely insipid in a word i am fond of those things which are only estimable to minds formed for the peculiar enjoyment of them End of section seven. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section eight of Confessions, volumes one and two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen confessions volumes one and two by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section eight i never thought money so desirable as it is usually imagined if you would enjoy you must transform it and this transformation is frequently attended with inconvenience you must bargain purchase pay dear be badly served and often duped i buy an egg am assured it is new laid i find it stale fruit in its utmost perfection tis absolutely green i love good wine but where shall i get it not at my wine merchants he will poison me to a certainty i wish to be universally respected how shall i compass my design i must make friends send messages write letters come go wait and be frequently deceived money is the perpetual source of uneasiness i fear it more than i love good wine a thousand times both during and since my apprenticeship have i gone out to purchase some nicety i approach the pastry-cooks perceive some women at the counter and imagine they are laughing at me i pass a fruit shop see some fine pears their appearance tempts me but then two or three young people are near or a man i am acquainted with is standing at the door i take all that pass for persons i have some knowledge of 
and my near sight contributes to deceive me i am everywhere intimidated restrained by some obstacle and with money in my pocket return as i went for want of resolution to purchase what i long for i should enter into the most insipid details was i to relate the trouble shame repugnance and inconvenience of all kinds which i have experienced in parting with my money whether in my own person or by the agency of others as i proceed the reader will get acquainted with my disposition and perceive all this without my troubling him with the recital this once comprehended one of my apparent contradictions will be easily accounted for and the most sordid avarice reconciled with the greatest contempt of money it is a movable which i consider of so little value that when destitute of it i never wish to acquire any and when i have a sum i keep it by me for want of knowing how to dispose of it to my satisfaction but let an agreeable and convenient opportunity present itself and i empty my purse with the utmost freedom not that i would have the reader imagine that i am extravagant from a motive of ostentation quite the reverse it was ever in subservience to my pleasures and instead of glorying in expense i endeavour to conceal it i so well perceive that money is not made to answer my purposes that i am almost ashamed to have any and still more to make use of it had i ever possessed a moderate independence i am convinced i should have had no propensity to become avaricious i should have required no more and cheerfully lived up to my income but my precarious situation has constantly and necessarily kept me in fear i love liberty and i loathe constraint dependence and all their kindred annoyances as long as my purse contains money it secures my independence and exempts me from the trouble of seeking other money a trouble of which i have always had a perfect horror and the dread of seeing the end of my independence makes me proportionately unwilling to part with my money the money that we possess is the instrument of liberty that which we lack and strive to obtain is the instrument of slavery thence it is that i hold fast to aught that i have and yet covet nothing more my disinterestedness then is in reality only idleness the pleasure of possessing is not in my estimation worth the trouble of acquiring 
and my dissipation is only another form of idleness when we have an opportunity of dispersing pleasantly we should make the best possible use of it i am less tempted by money than by other objects because between the moment of possessing the money and that of using it to obtain the desired object there is always an interval however short whereas to possess the thing is to enjoy it i see a thing and it tempts me but if i see not the thing itself but only the means of acquiring it i am not tempted therefore it is that i have been a pilferer and am so even now in the way of mere trifles to which i take a fancy and which i find it easier to take than to ask for but i never in my life recollect having taken a farthing from any one except about fifteen years ago when i stole seven francs and ten sous the story is worth recounting as it exhibits a concurrence of ignorance and stupidity i could scarcely credit did it relate to any but myself it was in paris i was walking with monsieur de franceux at the palais royal he pulled out his watch he looked at it and said to me suppose we go to the opera with all my heart we go he takes two box tickets gives me one and enters himself with the other i follow find the door crowded and looking in see everyone standing judging therefore that monsieur de franceux might suppose me concealed by the company i go out ask for my ticket and getting the money returned leave the house without considering that by when i had reached the door everyone would be seated and monsieur de franceux might readily perceive i was not there as nothing could be more opposite to my natural inclination than this abominable meanness i note it to show there are moments of delirium when men ought not to be judged by their actions this was not stealing the money it was only stealing the use of it and was the more infamous for wanting the excuse of a temptation i should never end these accounts was i to describe all the gradations through which i passed during my apprenticeship from the sublimity of a hero to the baseness of a villain though i entered into most of the vices of my situation i had no relish for its pleasures the amusements of my companions were displeasing and when too much restraint had made my business wearisome i had nothing to amuse me this renewed my taste for reading which had long been neglected 
i thus committed a fresh offence books made me neglect my work and brought on additional punishment while inclination strengthened by constraint became an unconquerable passion la tribu a well-known librarian furnished me with all kinds good or bad i perused them with avidity and without discrimination it will be said at length then money became necessary true but this happened at a time when a taste for study had deprived me both of resolution and activity totally occupied by this new inclination i only wished to read i robbed no longer this is another of my peculiarities a mere nothing frequently calls me off from what i appear the most attached to i give in to the new idea it becomes a passion and immediately every former desire is forgotten reading was my new hobby my heart beat with impatience to run over the new book i carried in my pocket the first moment i was alone i seized the opportunity to draw it out and thought no longer of rummaging my master's closet i was even ashamed to think that i had been guilty of such meanness and had my amusements been more expensive i no longer felt an inclination to continue it la tribu gave me credit and when once i had the book in my possession i thought no more of the trifle i was to pay for it as money came it naturally passed to this woman and when she chanced to be pressing nothing was so conveniently at hand as my own effects to steal in advance required foresight and robbing to pay was no temptation the frequent blows i received from my master with my private and ill-chosen studies rendered me reserved unsociable and almost deranged my reason though my taste had not preserved me from silly unmeaning books by good fortune i was a stranger to licentious or obscene ones not that la tribu who was very accommodating had any scruple of lending these on the contrary to enhance their worth she spoke of them with an air of mystery this produced an effect she had not foreseen for shame and disgust made me constantly refuse them chance so well seconded my bashful disposition that i was past the age of thirty before i saw any of those dangerous compositions end of section eight recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.